everyone welcome to the charvak podcast this is your host kushal mehra so to, so finally after a, a gap of many months the mma podcast is back now you guys are used to uh, watching me discuss mma with uh, sham sharma but unfortunately sham and i were just not able to match our timings even today sham could not turn up but uh, then i had reached out to varun a few months ago varun had come on the podcast once before with sham and i a while ago and then sham and i uh, you know we basically disappeared so i reached out to varun and i said listen 2024 is starting i want to continue the mma podcast now on a monthly basis like i do the cricket podcast and varun said hey man let's do it so varun welcome and thanks for joining it no no thank you for having me it's good to be back you know i think it's about time there was a big mma podcast in india and i'm excited to get this going So first of all how are you doing uh, any injuries how's the training going sab lat tang sab sab theek hai all good in uh, all in good condition since the last time i was on the show of course it's been a bit of a roller coaster you know before i came on the show i hadn't even debuted yet and now i've had about 11 fights so yeah it's it's been a, a good few kind of years since i last came on Yeah it's 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 been interesting because i remember talking to your mom <laughs> Oh my god My god Just so angry <laughs> No i mean both her and my dad can you imagine i like the lectures i got like you know and they never said it directly it was always like subtle things like trying to draw me away from the sport now it's like oh man and then you came along and you encouraged it so i was like okay at least i have someone on my side you know uh to back me up <laughs> You see, you see you see the problem with that is because i finally convinced especially <laughs> your mom about this uh, so the, you always remember our deal okay if, I do, if we I don't do. do the cte thing if we do the cte thing your mom's going to beat me up <laughs> now she give you cte so <laughs> no worries no worries i remember the deal yeah so that's that's the deal we have uh, it's my responsibility as far as varun is concerned uh, so yeah so Okay, today's podcast. Okay, we're going to talk about the recently concluded 297 UFC 297. For people who don't know, it was the main card. The main card, basically, the headline main fight was Sean Strickland versus Drakus Duplessis from uh, South Africa. And uh, before we talk about the specific fight, so Varun, let's start here. How how would you rate the card overall in terms of action? fight quality because see there's a very different perspective i have no training in fighting varun is a actual fighter i'm just a very enthusiastic lover of mixed of- martial arts hey we need that you know we need those people in the in the industry but i'd say rating wise but not to kind of quantify it because you have to look at it from two lenses i think in terms of the star value aside from the main event and maybe having you know your neil magnes on i don't think that it was one of the bigger cards of the year especially if you look at the upcoming cards you know 298 299 300 but in terms of the actual fights i think especially the main event and and generally the card barring the co-main event it was a good card i think i think the level of fights the kind of back and forth action we got and you know we we saw a bit of the of high level grappling high level striking scrap I I enjoyed the card overall. So I I don't know what what do you think? 
I enjoyed the card, but uh, if I was to give you an honest answer from the perspective of a fan, so we had a seal when when casual fans watch this sport, they want to see people beat up. I know. I mean, I'm talking to a fighter, and they're oh, like, "Yeah, मुझे मार खाने के लिए लोग देखते हैं हाँ भाई तुम्हें मार खाने के लिए लोग देखते हैं और कुछ करने के लिए देखते नहीं हैं." But uh, I think we had one KO TKO in the main card. we had one ko tko in the prelim card and i think the early prelims we did not have uh ko tko but we had three submissions so overall yeah. i would say as far as an entertainment point of view from a casual fan kind of a point of view i think it was good and um, it is very interesting to to see how uh, how this goes but okay let's get into the the main card first fight obviously the main event uh, Sean Strickland versus Trickles Duplessis Sean Strickland got uh, the middleweight championship by by defeating Israel Adesanya I mean to my utter shock by the way uh, I I I did not expect Strickland to yeah but he convincingly defeated Israel Adesanya but uh, how did you score the fight okay okay so I just want to first of all first of all start by saying I posted two pictures of DDP on my Twitter and my Instagram, right? And the messages I got: "Oh my God, it's a robbery! I can't believe you scored it for DDP." First of all, I didn't score it for DDP. I actually scored it for Strickland. I thought it was three-two, right? But to call it a robbery is definitely being harsh. I don't think it was a robbery at all. I had Strickland round one, round two, and round five, and then three and four for DDP. I think round two is really where the sort of uh, controversy lies. I think that's where everyone's sort of debating who won. Uh, but yeah, overall, I really do think Strickland won. But I'm not mad at all about uh, you know the result going to DDP. I would agree. It was not a robbery when the fight ended for the first time. I thought DDP won. But to be yeah. very honest, for to prepare for today's fight, I was re-watching the whole card and I watched the fight again. And I shut the commentary off this time. Oh, that's so important. The fight, and 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 I I was just looking at the fight. I don't understand the scoring criteria. Is what I concluded after watching the fight. Because okay, if I look at the first round, if I break it down round by round, first round I think Strickland won clearly. He was getting yep. the jab going and the deep kick going. That 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 I think would uh, would would seal the first round for uh, yeah, hundred percent. And Now, he didn't. And DDP didn't land anything, right? Like I think he was trying. He was giving him a lot of reads. He was trying to kind of get a lot of, uh, if, I'm, if I remember correctly, the overhands and trying to just rush in, but his his defense kind of held up. So, I mean, what what who do you think got the second round? Like, what 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 differentiation do we do from a scoring criteria in the second round? Right, because I think the first criteria, and, and in fact, I don't think I know the first criteria is always damage, right? And I think when you're watching it, no matter how many times you watch it, you can tell at the end of the second round. Look at DDP's eyes; it it is like you know, it is completely swollen as a you know, nearly sealed shot. I would say that based on that, it wins. But then I can also see the argument, uh, because if you look at the actual strikes landed. Right, it was kind of neck and neck, but in the round, EDP got a takedown and he had some control time. So then, the way they're going is they look at the damage, right? And if it's sort of neck and neck, a lot of times what they'll do is then they'll go to the next criteria. 
in that case, I can see why someone would pay the DDP, right? So, yeah, I, I don't know. But for me, I, I thought the damage was clearly done, uh, done by Strickland. Yeah, second round is very hard. I, I don't know. I thought Strickland, after re-watching it, I would give it to Strickland, the second round. Three and four were quite clear, don't you think? I think uh, yeah. three and four was quite clear. I think DDP won them fair and square, right? Exactly. And I think, you know what? I from, from a, As a fighter, I, I suppose, because you could see in the first two rounds, he was giving him so much to kind of think about, you know, whether it was the takedowns, uh, he was giving him different reads in terms of the hands. And I think, you know, GFP talked about this fight with uh, BJ Penn and how he just gave him a lot of stimulus. I think that got frequent eventually when the rounds got a bit, uh, when the rounds got a bit, you know, uh, into, into later. So I personally thought that's what ended up doing it. Mm. Yeah, and again, I, I think the controversy of the match was round two and round five because that's where pretty much everything gets decided. Now, as far as round five is concerned, it does get, uh, again, who do you score it for? I scored it for Sean Strickland again. Now, I don't know on what criteria or on what basis the the judges gave uh, that round to whom and again, how were they scoring? And if, if I remember correctly, there was in, in the whole match, I think there was just one submission attempt and that was... Uh, uh, how many submission attempts were there? I, uh, let me check. I wanted to look up the data. I think there were no submission attempts. So Yeah, I can't remember was, any. Yeah, yeah, no submission attempts. I think uh, DDP had like 11 takedown attempts out of which he landed six. Uh, yeah. uh, I think significant strikes. He landed 38.7%, which was 137. Uh, Strickland got a lot more significant strikes. 173, he landed 42.4%. And total yep. strikes, obviously, he got 183 vis-a-vis 140. Now, what you have to calculate in the in the scoring criteria is how much do the takedowns count? Because the takedown calculates uh, the control time also, right? Which is one of the scoring criteria, right? Exactly. But again, I always go back to this. It's always damage. You only start looking at the other criteria when there's you know, when, when the damage is neck and neck. So, you know, if the damage is, like, you know, swinging one way, you don't even look at the other uh, criteria. Because, you know, if you take someone down, and, and in the case of this fight, but I don't feel like he was doing any damage. You know, he's controlling him and, and holding him up. I don't think he was doing any damage. Hmm. So, then how did you score round five? In your opinion, I, I get. I had that Strickland. I thought he did more of the damage, especially as the rounds ended. I thought he landed far more than DDP did. So yeah, that's that's why I'd say round one, two, and five definitely to Strickland. Hmm. Yeah, I, I would say, I think I agree with you. Uh, it all comes. Uh, it all comes down to, I would say, round two. And round two was where I think most judges gave it to DDP. Do you think? Yeah, but I think that's just because of the 
I think that's simply because the takedown was uh, there and, and that kind of made it. And I think just because in the day and age of the Khabibs and all of these guys, uh, you know, just look at the takedown and be like, oh my God, this is, this is, uh, this is what's doing the the wrestler, you know? But in reality, I think Strickland just did the damage. Yeah. But overall, I don't think so. It is a robbery or anything. Um, I I don't believe uh, I would call it a robbery. I think DDP, uh, uh, I think DDP uh, was a deserving winner. If they would have given it to Sean Strickland, I would not have complained. But uh, it's going to be very interesting. And and how does a person look after the fight is not a criteria because maybe no. DDP because of the jabs was um, you know getting his uh, both his eyes were messed up. But then they had a head clash, and Strickland was yeah. saying after the fight that head clash really messed him up, and because of that he had that cut. I think it was right underneath the left eye or something or uh, above the left eye, and it was the blood was pouring and it, it actually affected his vision. That's what Strickland was saying. Yeah, um, and that would that can totally change the way the fight goes, because you know you put blood running down your eye that completely messes up your vision. You've got an explosive guy like DDP coming at you. It's with damage. So, I personally would love to see the fight again. You know, I don't really want to see DDP and Arisenia way. I need. I think we need to see this one more time. I I don't know what you think. I would say they will not do the rematch because if the I mean considering how the UFC functions, they look at the most profitable uh, factor, and this fight does not make them the kind of money. I think DDP and Israel Adesanya have a little bit of good beef going yeah. on, so I think they might try to book a fight between Adesanya. Consider uh, uh, there are many assumptions here. Adesanya wants to fight. Uh, Again, I mean, I'm assuming he does, but he's taking a break right now, so we don't know when he's going to fight. I think they'll do DDP versus Adesanya again, and maybe the winner of that gets a crack. Uh, again. Then maybe Sean Strickland gets a crack at them. Mm, uh, as far as I'm concerned, I don't see an immediate rematch for Sean Strickland. I don't think so. Yeah, unfortunately, I agree with you. In, in the sense, I don't think they'll give it. Personally, I would have liked to see it. Just because, you know, I think the Strickland versus I think, you know, it was domination from, from start to finish. So, I, I'd like to see the rematch personally. Hey, hey, Varun, you might have to adjust your mouthpiece. I think uh, you have to keep it up slide. Yeah, yeah here. Let's yeah, try is that here. Good? Yeah, this is much better because there was okay, a lot okay. of... Yeah, there was a lot all of... Right, uh, all right, all right. Yeah. Sorry for the viewers. <laughs> no, no, it's, uh, I don't know. It's cracking. Uh, can you try the laptop microphone? I don't know why your voice is cracking using this. Can you try the laptop? That's right. All right, let me try. Yeah. Let's see. Just select another microphone and uh, let's. Is that good? Yeah, it's okay. There's echo, but we can fix it. I don't know. I don't know why that microphone was not working or something of that sort was happening. I don't know what the reason for that. It's it's kind of strange. I don't know why it was happening. But because there was a lot of cracking when you were speaking through that headset. Uh, Either I see, I see. Well, everybody... I borrowed this headset from a friend. So, if Rack, if you're watching this, this is your fault. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, no, sorry, back to it. Um, yeah, no. So, 
I'd personally like to see the rematch, but I can totally see them doing the real African championship, you know? Yeah, uh, another very interesting bit. I know somebody in the live stream has written this too. So there were nine Canadian fighters on the card. <laughs> Two one. <laughs> Seven lost. Seven that, lost. I know. And, and I think what all the, the ones that won with the girls and the guys, all of them were yeah, were out, right? And well, who was it? I think Mallet. Yeah, Mallet. Mallet versus Magni. That was the close one, right? They almost, they were neck and neck. Go, I'm sorry, not neck and neck. Mallet was winning that until the last kind of minute and out of absolutely nowhere, Neil Magni comes, gets him down and just pounds the hell out of him. Do you think... Okay, I wanted to ask you this question from a fighter's perspective. Yeah. So uh, how does a fighter gas out? Because it's quite clear that uh, Magni's opponent, Mallet, gassed out. He just did not have anything left. And he was just like, oh, I give up. That's it. I can't take this anymore. That kind of a situation. You know, that's how we casual fans, when we look at it from outside, we it was so visible to the eyes of the viewer that when he was fighting, suddenly his entire body just gave up. He just gassed out completely. He could not take it anymore. And he was like, I can't do this anymore. So what happens exactly? Uh, is this like the classic Nate Diaz, Nick Diaz way of fighting where they're never striking at 100%. They're always striking at like 60-70% and there's proper breathing because a lot of people don't realize if you hold on to your breath and you throw punches, even in the air, you can't throw many punches and that's why they say you always, when you're punching, you exhale out, right? And and, and that that's the technique and you, even in a gym, if you're doing drills, they, they would teach you that. But what ha exactly happened with Mallet in your opinion? So I think it's a combination of factors, right? I think First of all, if you watch that fight, he was the one, you know, they, they were kind of, in terms of numbers at least, in, in strikes, they were even. But Mallet was the one wrestling. And wrestling is going to get you, right? Wrestling is always going to get you, especially if you're offensive, the guy's getting back up, the scrambles. And Neil Magny's a vet, right? He's been there how many times now? So he knows how to control his, you know, he knows how to compose himself in those situations and how to kind of last out an entire fight. So I think that's one factor. And the second factor I'd say is, you know, you're in your hometown. You're fighting in front of your home crowd. That adrenaline is going to be pumping. And, you know, as you end, sorry, as you near the end of, of the fight, that adrenaline dump is coming. And when that adrenaline dump hits, there's no coming back. That's it. And, and you get stuck in a position, right? It's like you're... Your mind is there. You know exactly what to do. You've been there hundreds of times in training. You know, I can hip escape, do whatever. But your body's just not responding. So when Neil Magny just starts pounding on him, I think his body just shut down and, and that's it. Because you could see after the fight, he's just like, oh, what have I done? <laughs> you know, he's like, I just had it here. So that was really upsetting to see. So that's essentially what happened. So it's not that they don't want to do it. It's just that they cannot do it, right? Legitimately. Like, you are there. Like, you know exactly what's happening. Even when the guy's punching, you're like, oops, okay, I'm getting punched. I need to get out of here. <laughs> but yeah, your body's just not giving you the giving you the sort of response that you want it to give you. So it, it's really rough. I've been a victim of that in my own fights. You know, I've, I've 
been in a position where I'm stuck and I'm like, my God, I, I literally cannot move here. <laughs> and, you know, that's that. So I, I totally feel for Mallet, you know, but I'm sure he'll be back. I'm sure because, you know, you're fighting a guy like Neil Magny, who's been there, done that. He's fought the who's who of the welterweight division and he took him all the way to the end. I think he'll be back. Yeah, I think he looked good. And uh, had he not, he had a great record before this. Right? He had not lost, I think, if I remember correctly or something of that sort. If I remember it, I think he'd never lost yeah. too. I bet, I think it was like 10 and 1 or something like that, which is a great record. I mean, you know. Oh, yeah, 10 and 1. Yeah, 10 and 1. So, yeah. And one no result, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, he, he had a good fight. But but now now we have to talk about... <laughs> I, I don't know how to say this without laughing. Okay. The most boring exactly. co-main event in the history of the Ultimate Fighting Championship. See, do you notice how when we were talking about the fights, I went from that and I skipped and I went back to Neil Magny? <laughs> I didn't want to talk about it. No, we uh, have to. We have to. So... So, so for everybody who who had to go through the process of watching that fight, it was Raquel Pennington versus Myra Bueno Silva, and uh, Raquel won in the end through decision uh, uh, after five gruesome rounds. Not for them, but for us as fans. Uh, I mean, I'm just kidding, but oh my god, uh, that fight was so boring to watch if even from a grappling perspective it was boring to watch forget forget from a striking perspective from a grappling perspective it was one of the most boring things that i've seen because sometimes right when you have people grappling they were just clinching like i remember distinctly i think it was round two i think it was every round where raquel <laughs> would start striking and it would push uh bueno silva back and immediately when you're like, okay, knock her out. And then Rekel would be like, nah, Mata, ja nahi hai, then I'll... and she would just go and clinch her. Why? For what? <laughs> and you know, it's really frustrating because every round her coach is like, avoid the clinch, avoid the clinch. And that's the first thing she does. Beating her up, on the verge of knocking her out. I'm like, come on, man. What are you doing? <laughs> but it's also strange because Silva had some success with the grappling in the initial two rounds, if I remember correctly. Right? She was threatening. But then Raquel was trying to survive with the grappling, like, you know, defensively grapple. But then at some point, it looked like both of them were defensively grappling, you know, in a weird way. So it kind of became a stalemate. <laughs> but Buona Silva was gassed out after round three. It was so yeah. visible. She was just like, oh. That's all. She just lay down in the last round. She was like, Joe Karnakar, man, you're wali. Exactly. No, no. <laughs> yeah. So she basically accepted. I think at, by that point, she, you're just like, right, I'm here in the title fight. I'm here to survive. I'll live to fight another day, you know. Um, but, you know, it's a real shame because through the, through the UFC embedded, you know, she was hyping herself up. She was so emotional. Had her mom come in. So I was like, oh, man, she's going to come for the kill. Couldn't be, couldn't be further from that, you know. So, what to say? What to say? I think that Raquel gets knocked out by Pena. Personally, I don't think there was anything there that kind of screams this is going to be a long title run. I don't know what you think. So you know, this is very interesting. Who gets the next fight? 
so as we know if, i don't know if people have heard kayla harrison uh, a two time gold medalist judoka for the united states of america a a great judo judoka probably arguably the best judoka in the history of the united states of america both male and female because i don't think so they had a a male uh, gold medalist judo uh, in judo in the olympics i think one person has a bronze from the united states of america so she clearly is at the pinnacle in just judo itself and now she her journey is she goes into pfl she i think she's only lost one fight in pfl other than that she's yeah. pretty much won everything she's had one fight in invicta if i remember correctly in the 145 pound category and now dana white uh, made this announcement a few days ago where uh, he said that uh, she's going to be coming uh, in the ufc the ultimate fighting championship and her first fight uh, how about this i'll play dana's announcement for for everybody else because uh, why should i say what dana said you, you can hear what dana said he announced it on his uh, social media dana white this is what dana said all right guys here's another announcement for ufc 300 holly holm she was inducted in the boxing hall of fame in 2022 in the history of the women's bantamweight division she is tied for fourth most wins sixth most significant strikes landed and has the fourth best takedown defense at 78% Holly Holm is one of the baddest women to ever compete in combat sports ever she's fought all the nastiest women in the world in boxing and in MMA except for one Holly will be taking on the only person in US history to win back-to-back Olympic gold medals in judo The UFC has officially signed Kayla Harrison. Kayla's 16 and 1 with 12 finishes. Her takedowns, her ground and pound are nasty, and this will be the first time she will be competing at bantamweight. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That fight is also at UFC 300. So this one's going to be in UFC 300. Now, as much as I'm excited about the fact that Kayla Harrison is coming to the UFC, So she's going to fight Holly and I'm assuming the winner of that fight. If Kayla wins, she gets the title shot. It's quite obvious. She gets yeah. the title shot. I suppose But, that's true because she won the PFL. She won the yeah, PFL here as well. Yeah. So now obviously Juliana Peña and Raquel Pennington they're going to fight next. That's obvious. And then the winner of that fight and the winner of Holly and uh, Kayla Harrison they fight next but people forget so for those who don't know kayla harrison when she was competing in the olympics she was fighting in what would be called 171 or 72 pounds category for oh. judo then when she came to the pfl they basically she was the brand ambassador of pfl pfc was the face of pfl she drove the brand she did everything for the brand and she was fighting at 155 pounds for the pfl Then when she did that fight in Invicta, she cut her weight down to one forty-five pounds, and she did that. In fact, the images that we saw, I think they were from that Invicta fight. I could be wrong. She had that one fight, I think, last year or the year before in Invicta. That was at one hundred and forty-five pounds. Now Kayla Harrison, I don't know how many people have looked at her. She is a muscular, well-built woman. She's strong as hell. Your reactions 
to the announcement that she's going to cut weight to 135 as a fighter and i want you to take some time and explain to people what weight cutting is maybe most people don't know what weight cutting is you're someone who's gone through it tell them what happens right so first of all that's not i like when when kushal says that she's a big lady she is massive like i watched her fight in london on the pfl card she like my god i couldn't believe that this was like yeah i've never seen a woman this size she was jacked out of her mind um so the fact that she's going to cut to 135 blows my mind and in terms of in terms of weight cutting so essentially what weight cutting is right so before a fight let's say if i don't saturday the weigh ins are typically held on a friday let's say so 135 pounds let's say that's the uh, that's the category you weigh you have to weigh in at that if you weigh in even slightly over that's it you know uh the commission will either cancel the fight altogether or they'll fine you and you have to fight at what they call a catchweight where the two fighters agree on you know meeting meeting kind of midway so when it comes to cutting weight it takes time so let's say i'm walking at right so like right now i'm at 77 kilos right i typically fight at lightweight so at the start of camp i'll be 77 kilos i'll typically diet down to let's say 75 like 74 and a half right now i'll stay around this weight and then the week off the fight so this is let's say 7 days before the friday weigh in i'll start doing what you call water loading so what water loading is is you consistently i mean i cannot tell you how painful this is you're constantly drinking water i mean you're talking like maybe up to 10 liters of water and you're constantly peeing right and at this stage you're minimizing your salt and carb intake so all this water you're drinking you're pissing it out and nothing's being held because you don't have salt or carb in your system then as the sort of week goes by you completely eliminate the salt you completely eliminate the carbs so your glycogen so you have no glycogen so that weight also goes out and again you're constant first of all you're constantly sweating as well because you're drinking so much water and yeah so you lose weight through that you're pissing and then let's say the thursday of fight you got about maybe 2 2 and a half kilos left right so i'm about 72 and a half this is the tough part because you've now sweat pissed you've done everything right so all the remaining water in your system you need to get that out somehow so there's many methods to it some people will go into a sauna some people will fill out a bathtub right and then put it with really hot water and you just kind of lie in there for 20 minutes <laughs> and stare at the wall um you know some people put on the sauna suit and you'll see those videos of you know they're wearing a sauna suit and they'll be boxing so there's various methods but essentially what you're doing is you're sweating it off you're just forcing your body to sweat off all that excess water so by the i'd say you know by midnight like about 8 hours before the weigh in you've got maybe half a kilo left and when you're sleeping you sweat naturally and you'll also probably wake up a couple of times to piss so by the time the weigh in comes you're on weight now where i think that you know this is going to be important for kayla harrison when she comes in is how good her rehydration protocol is because when you're rehydrating you know some people 
they they take water and they you know you've been depleted for a good week or two weeks people will rush that water process but you can't do that you have to slowly get it into your system the electrolytes the salts the carbs you have to do it in a sort of gradual uh, gradual basis you can't just down like 5 liters of water in one in one sitting and think it you know you're going to get it back so that's going to be key for Kayla Harrison if she's going to make such a massive uh, massive cut so what do you think she must be walking around that's the key thing right what do you walk uh, walk around and uh what do you eventually go down to because that's what like i'm not able to understand uh how is she uh going to manage this so i think first of all what she's going to have to do is she'll have to lose a bit of muscle mass like there's just no choice right um she'll have to walk around like let's say she's walking around let's say 74 75 right now she'll have to walk around uh let's say 68 60 to 66 in that range because otherwise you know it, it's just you're you're cutting way too much water you're essentially becoming a prune at that point <laughs> so yeah i i'd say you yeah, lose a bit of muscle mass and yeah that that's more or less it that's that's something i personally have to do as well in terms of my weight cuz i you know i that those are the compromises that i've had to make in the past so i can imagine that's what she'd have to do so just to give people a perspective i know photographs do not give you the perfect answer i don't know if you saw her a, a recent photo of kayla with uh, i think it was dustin who posted this the did he i think it was dustin poria who recently posted this did you check this out she Let's looks relatively fitter here don't you think She looks relatively yeah. smaller than her original size, and and for people who are like, "What is her original size?" Let <laughs> let me show oh, let me show you her original Last. size. That this is a massive woman. You know, the first time you're gonna be like, "What the hell, Kushal?" Ye koi baat hui, but <laughs> this is the first time I I I actually found out about Kayla Harrison was. Uh, <laughs> uh, you remember impract? You do you know something called impractical jokers? She was part of, yeah, yeah, of, of Frank in the Impractical Jokers. That's what I found. Yeah, yeah. Really, what was she doing? I, she had the, the 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 thing was one of the pranks was you have to go and intimidate this woman, and she just keeps picking you up and throwing you in the pool. Oh, <laughs> no. I, I I think that it was her. So this is normal, Kira Harrison. Holy shit! Look at that. This is such a jacked woman. Uh, such a sure. jacked. No. She's not even short. That's the crazy huge part. Huge woman, yeah. My like, God! Like, every time I look at her, and I just think she would kick my ass so badly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and you know what? I think that photo is after weight cut. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> the, the, this is why I showed this photo. She's so big here. <laughs> She's gonna go down to one thirty-five. Nah, that, like you know, it, it's going to be tougher. She definitely. I mean, in that photo you showed with uh, DP, uh, you can clearly tell she's she's lost a bit of muscle mass, and she has to. Otherwise, going to one thirty five, walking around at seventy seven is, it is rough. And you know, I I'm not a doctor, so I don't know the biological reasons. But based on you know my my female teammates, I believe cutting weight for women is a lot more difficult as well. 
So, yeah, good luck to her. So, really good luck. So Dana Dana White said she's already made one thirty five a couple of times. Yeah. So yeah, apparently she's undergone several test cuts, and UFC three hundred won't be the first time she's made the bantamweight uh, limit. Now this is what she had said in the past. Just November, I mean one thirty five will be a challenge. Will challenge me in ways like I'm going to have to lose a piece of me to be able to fight at 135 pounds. Then she said, "I think structurally I carry a lot of muscle." Uh, yes, agreed. Yeah. <laughs> Already yeah. kind of lean, so I'm going to have to lose muscle. I'm going to have to change my entire lifestyle. Lifestyle. I mean, I've already done that to fight at 145. It's crazy what happens when you take care of your body and eat properly and sleep and recover. I was a knucklehead when I was younger, but I have faith. Whatever is is meant will be. Uh, Misha Tate has uh, said that she doesn't like the idea of uh, Kayla cutting down, and it's not healthy. She has um, uh, um, she has advised against it. Uh, Misha was not happy with the idea. Where uh, listen, uh, I'm no scientist. Uh, basically, Misha said. 135 is going to really suck the life out of her um i mean i mean let me ask you this is misha tate saying that because you know she may have to potentially fight her i don't know <laughs> but she's she gone down to 125 man has she Misha-Tate, i thought she was yeah. still at 135 i mean didn't she try to fight at 135 in between yeah that, no that's what i thought i thought i thought she was 135 Or one twenty five. She she did fight at one twenty five too. I think she did try once, but ah, uh, I don't know, man. I don't like this idea of uh, Kayla Harrison trying to fight at one thirty five. But here's the reality of the women's uh, women's MMA. Yeah. Uh, sure. There is no hundred and forty five or hundred and fifty five pound division. No, it's dead, right? I mean, even when what Amanda Nunes won the one forty five, right? I mean, there was there was no fighters yeah. there. You know who who she fighting, so that's what I mean. Um, yeah, she kind of has no choice. And that's why I'm interested as well to see because, yeah, she's big, she's strong, like we've mentioned, you know, for the last kind of few minutes. But you know, when when you cut, right, you may rehydrate, you might have all the protocols in check, but you're not going to go back to that hundred percent strength level. You're not going to get your cardio levels up to hundred percent. So that's going to take its toll. That'll certainly take its toll. Um, so I'm interested to see how she sort of, uh, you know, circumvents that issue. And you know, she's going up against a Pena or, in in this case, Raquel Pennington, who are experienced. Again, you have to remember Pena, someone who finished Amanda Nunes. So, yeah, that that is an interesting, interesting fight for me personally. I think she is where she is because I don't think so. She would have come to UFC. She was making good money in PFL. Yeah. Now a PFL also uh, took over Bellator a few months ago. Yeah. So I, I don't think so. She would have come. The thing is, Cyborg was just not fighting her. She had no real fight left over there. And then I think sometimes fighters look for legacy. Now I don't know. I mean, because from what I understand, her and Amanda. their friends and i don't know if she would uh, have fought amanda in any scenario i don't know man all i know is i don't know how she's going to cut to 135 uh 
I don't know what the health implications are when she cuts this. Uh, and I don't know how Kayla Harrison will be when she loses muscle because her she's not a striker. She's a grappler. Yeah, she's exactly. a big woman who holds you. And then when she holds you, you tend to stay there. And then she drops you down. And then she beats you up when you're down. And then she chokes the living daylights out of you. Or have I got this wrong? No, no, that's what I mean, right? She's super strong. But then again, like, you know, you see, we've seen Ronda Rousey, right? She was a very accomplished judoka herself. And and this is MMA, not judo. And, you know, you, Holly Holm knocked her out, knocked Ronda Rousey out. So does lightning strike twice if she take out another accomplished judoka? What do you think? Um, you know, Ronda, I mean, Holly Holm is not a small lady herself. Holly is 41. Yeah, but you know, she can she can bang. Yeah, she's a boxer primarily. People forget yeah. she has a great boxing pedigree. Uh Listen, if this was at 145 pounds, I would have comfortably said Kayla Harrison wins. Yeah, exactly. Now. Exactly. I don't know what happens at 135. You remember how uh, who was that guy, right? Who 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 fought Henry Cejudo at 125, forgot his name, Comple- TJ Dillashaw. Remember oh, TJ, oh. he tried to cut weight to 125, his weight cut sucked, and then he had those uh, steroid abuse issues. And mm-hmm. look what happened to him. All Henry did was strike him once, and TJ was done. So uh, I don't know if this weight cut is going to affect the chin of Kayla Harrison. That's Yeah, that's the thing. You know, it had. There's so many kind of factors that go into it. That's why I'm excited to see it. You know, um, this is far more exciting than what we saw at UFC 297. Let's let's just. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. No, so to 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 talk about UFC 297, one more like okay, Chris Curtis versus Mark Andre, Andre Barrio. Uh, did you see that fight? I like I Chris did. Curtis. Man. He's an exciting fighter. Man, you know, I I think people give him too much of a hard time. And I, I, I'm not really sure why, because he's he can fight. The guy can yeah, fight. But um, he also came out. I, I don't know if you saw. He came out on I think it was Ariel's show, right? And he's like, the commentators are biased against me, and and you no, know, mm. they have they have it out against me. Um, I I don't know if that's true necessarily, but I have seen on on Twitter and Instagram that you know people really uh, underrate Chris Curtis. I think he's He's good. I mean, this is a guy who beat number seven Brandon Allen, right? Hmm. So this this is no joke. Yeah. Okay. Now another fight that was good, but people said boring was Arnold Allen versus Evloev. Uh, First of all, were you convinced? Uh, did you think Evloev had any chance of winning, or you think it was Allen who won hands down? I, I think Evloev won that, uh, won that fight, and you know he, he's seventeen and no, I think he's one of those kind of uh, low key fighters. He even says it himself. I don't know why he says it. You know he's kind of killing his own stock. He's like, yeah, you know I'm only winning by decisions. I'm not finishing anything. I'm like, dude, just keep your mouth shut. No one's thinking about that until you explicitly state it. You know, but um, no, I thought I thought Evloev won. Um, I was quite confident and. 
he stepped up, you know. Arnold Allen is no joke. I don't know if you've seen much of Arnold Allen, but he is no joke. So, mm-hmm. no, great performance. Yeah, I I did not score that for that bout because I had no idea who won or who did not win. But uh, I want to talk about the prelims. You 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 enjoyed the prelims. Tell me which fights you wanted to talk about because I know you told me I want to discuss the prelims. Yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed the prelims. In fact, the one specific fight I, I really enjoyed was Katona. Brad Katona, I forget the other guy's name. I keep forgetting his name. Uh, I have it somewhere. Let me find it. But Brad Katona, the reason I, I enjoyed this guy, man, people underestimate yeah, arm field. That's the thing, arm field. Hmm. People underestimate how tough it is to win the ultimate fight, the ultimate fighter, right? And this is a guy who's won it twice. I don't know if you if you've seen much of this guy, but he's legit. I and that I I thought that was such an evenly matched fight, and it was great. I mean, personally, I thought it was high level, so I I found that exciting. What did you think? Mm, that was a good fight, but once again, uh, I think. Uh... What did you think about the score? It's tough. It's tough. I thought I thought Katona got it, but I wasn't too mad with the with the result personally. I think Katona took his time to get going. I think there were times where, you know, usually he 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 likes to go. He likes to kind of dictate the pace. Likes to get his grappling going, but. Yeah, I, I thought Armfield did a good job in terms of keeping him at bay and and defensively grappled very well. So, yeah, I, I wasn't too mad at the result. Obviously, the end where, where he was getting ground and pounded by Katona doesn't look good. But yeah, uh, I personally had it that way. You know, the fight I enjoyed the most was obviously Jillian Robertson, but I really enjoyed the Shirley Sadie uh Tavares fight. Did you see that? I love that fight. <laughs> that was so much fun. Uh, you've done me dirty here. <laughs> okay. So I before this podcast, I told Koshal, that was my bathroom break. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so please, he's, he's really done me dirty here. Now, what did you think of the fight? Let, let's hear about that. What's your analysis? It was super entertaining. I loved it. Yeah. I loved right, it. What about it? That was so weird. I mean, it was a lot of action. I like action-oriented fights. To me, yeah. that was the best part. That that fight had a lot of action, and uh, I think Tavares, uh, uh, you know, he's uh, from what I understand in the he spoke a lot of smack and <laughs> yeah, yeah, and oh, well, fight of yeah, fight of the year contender. No, not really fight of the year oh, contender, okay. but it, it was fun. I enjoyed that fight. I, that was the one fight that I enjoyed. But obviously, the best fight was the women's strawweight fight, Robertson versus Pollyanna Vienna. And that was a good win for Jillian Robertson um, and one of the rare Canadians to have won. No, I know. And I, it was good for her because, you know, she's hometown against Pollyanna, who, you know, of course, just for her fighting skills is very popular. So, yeah, no, I, I thought it was a great win for her. And to finish it the way she did, I don't know if you saw the Instagram, but in the corner, her coach is like live streaming on on Instagram where he's like taking selfies while uh, Jillian was beating Pollyanna up. Did you see that? No, I didn't. Uh, I I clearly am not on Instagram. I mean, I'm there 
but i don't even know my instagram password so somebody handles it i i've never been on instagram i don't understand that platform twitter is so overwhelming for me that i'm like i can't do this but it's way uh, is that allowed i don't even know it was honestly bizarre because i remember seeing after the fight it's like he's in the corner and obviously jillian's getting her ground pound going and he's just in the in the corner with his phone and he's like talking smack into the camera I'm like yo you're you're in the middle of a fight <laughs> like i think you should be paying attention but yeah no hats off to her she she really got it done and at least gave the crowd something to cheer about so i had one question about the rickel penington fight now I, i again this is because i want to understand a fighter's perspective what is the role of the corner during a fight because every time and this is not just this fight it's a pattern with pennington she doesn't yeah. listen to her corner what why does this happen so often with her like what because i don't understand right i've never been thrown a punch in my life you've been punched <laughs> and thrown a punch so i want to understand what role does the corner play for a fighter during a fight so i think it depends on the fighter so i'll give you my personal sort of uh I'll give you my sort of sort of personal experiences. So for me, uh, the first thing is because I'm grappling heavy, I I like someone to kind of slap the <laughs> slap my muscles and get them going again. So just to kind of get you know get you to breathe, get your composure back, because again you know in the heat of the moment you need someone to zone you back in. So I think her corner was trying to kind of get her to think straight and be like, look. you're about to win this fight but every time you're about to win you clinch mm. so they're giving her that that tactical advice which you know that is also one of the rules i personally made adjustments accordingly so yeah I, i'd say most mostly for like motivation tactical advice and just to kind of get you going and to to make you remember why you're there in the first place which fair enough but but why why would you think a a fighter would not listen to their corner like what happens like they just have a brain fade or something of that sort it's weird you know i think it's like sometimes your okay this this ha- this kind of happens more in training than in the fight because in the fight i i kind of become a robot whatever my coach says i just do blindly but i personally think it comes down to the the sort of connection you have with your coach in training are you used to following their instructions you know i've been scolded so many times by my coach like let's say we're we're in the middle of sparring he says throw one two he says okay switch to a single leg if i don't do it you know sometimes he will stop he will stop the training session right there and he will scream at me and have a go at me be like look if you don't listen to me here how are you going to listen to me in, in the heat of the moment so personally i i think maybe they've not done enough of those where you know he's he's simulating the fight and and coaching her in the middle of a fight and you know in between rounds i i personally think that that could be a could be a factor also you even simulate the period between the fight the one minute period fighters even do that wow that's news for me i did not know this no no 100% like you know we'll we'll go to our corners it, it, to, the, to the extent where you know 
you're the guy you're sparring with. He'll go to his corner. You're in your own corner, um, and you'll do everything. Like for example, there's there's small things here and there, uh, buzzwords and whatnot that that me and my coach have, you know. And even in training, he's used to saying them to me to kind of get me back on track and, and to get me focused again. He knows what to say, and these are things we've worked out over the years. You know, it doesn't just happen overnight. And you have to do it uh, systematically. So by the time it comes to fight night, you know, he says, okay, let's say the buzzword is apples, right? Just this, for example. <laughs> um, yeah, on fight night, when he says apples, I know exactly what I'm doing. You know, let's say the move is, is number one, number two. When he says number one, number two, I know exactly. It's like almost like programmed into my mind. So I do it almost autopilot. Um, so yeah, I... I like there's a lot of fight. like have you seen Khabib and, and uh, Islam have you seen their corner uh, interaction like there's a corner cam and, and Islam listening to his instructions no I'm not uh, I, I, during a fight I have but not, not any other than that okay you really must that is it's that's the best example of this so you can see Khabib like he's shouting what he sees um, and Islam is just doing exactly that and literally you've seen it from like the point where Islam gets a takedown to the finish, Khabib has called the entire sequence. And it, it's honestly insane. So I think that, you know, if you can get that going with your coach, there's nothing like it. Hmm. Now, uh, we're not going to talk about the early prelims, but I just wanted to mention that uh, Johan beat Sam Patterson submission um, uh, round one in two minutes. In the women's bantamweight, this fight, by the way, uh, if you guys have not, Jasmine, uh, Jas the Vicious, uh, she won the fight against Casuera by submission in round three. Oh my God, this was an absolute beating. It's disgusting. Cash, yeah, yeah, of Casuera, it was so one-sided. And Malcolm Gordon won in round two via submission. He beat Jimmy Flick. Now these three fights were actually very good. I think the fight pass prelims were even better than the prelim fights, uh, in, in my opinion. Uh, these are the UFC uh, fight pass. Uh, uh, if you want to watch them, they're available on the UFC uh, fight pass. It, it, those guys want to watch. But now, there was so much happening in and around the the e- event itself. I know you co-tweeted uh, something uh about Sean Strickland when he was, you know, he went off on the media when he was asked about this question. So first of all, now, like, do people realize that I have seen many sports in my life, but yeah. I think mixed martial arts is very unique in some ways that like, there are some sports that have a very left-leaning audience. There might be, but mixed martial arts is quite clearly in America, because see, this sport is pretty much an American sport. Yes, there are European fighters. Yes, there are Australian fighters. Yes, there are Russian fighters. But mixed martial arts, as we understand today, from a purely consumer perspective, money perspective, uh, America runs the sport and UFC as a promoter runs the sport pretty much. Are there other organizations like One Championship or um, now PFL and Bellator are together? But 95% 95% of the market share is pretty much dominated by the Ultimate Fighting Championship. Now, in such a case, I mean, Dana White is a very open Republican. He's never hidden it. He's uh, he's uh, very close friends with Donald Trump. But 
like what i did not understand is what what the hell was that whole thing where the journalist was asking uh, Sean Strickland and you know Sean Strickland is going to go off the hook where and uh, I, i don't know if you remember when the whole kobe uh, the last kobe fight had happened yes, i was really irritated with kobe covington making those nasty comments about uh, 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 leon edwards's father and it was nasty it was i mean but that's what i don't know mma is uh, uh, when khabib and conor fought conor took oh, yeah. the do- dolly on the bus and then uh, khabib making nasty comments about conor's wife and children and then conor talking about his wife and children and the, i think they only spared the religion bit in that occasion on that occasion uh, religion that was, was spared but conor huh? did say call him conor did call him uh, backwards and everything for not wanting alcohol I, i if i remember correctly right he did call him backwards and said his wife wears uh, a bed sheet or something like that he, he made su- uh, comments like that so there was religion as well it was not that was not spared he was quite nasty about it yeah so i mean it to me i'm sharing my personal views it has come to a point that i have stopped watching pre and post fight interviews of fighters yeah. i just don't i i because i know that these are people who say weird things <laughs> i just watch them fight now the only person i watch after every pay per view because i i want to know because the man runs the sport is dana white yeah uh, there's a fixed routine dana comes he gives a press conference interestingly dana was asked again where he said free speech man free speech man listen i think luke thomas gave the most balanced analysis of this for people who don't know luke thomas is a mixed martial art journalist now i may not be completely aligned with luke thomas's politics personally but i can tell you luke is 100% right that when dana white says oh free speech brother free speech it's not about free speech it, it let's get real if somebody was dropping n bombs oh yeah the ufc would censor it and you know what ufc censored most people don't realize it when islam makachev or oh, yeah it, it was islam when he fought the last time he spoke about the palestinian conflict now uh, my views on israel palestine are very well known i'm not talking about my views i'm talking about censorship here so they let it run in the live stream because they had no control over what the fighter says but afterwards yeah, that segment was removed So how can Dana White say it's about free speech? It it was actively removed. That okay, I didn't know that. I suppose you have to remember, right? Who runs uh, Endeavor? Ari Emanuel, right? So, yeah, I can see why. Uh, who who runs all of these things? Yeah, no, that's interesting. I had no idea about that. That's that's really interesting. Um. So how but, yeah. how does a fighter handle all of this? Like, it is there no limit to shit talking now? but how do you limit something like that right because i think it's subjective it, it is really subjective because some people are are going to react differently right like kabib when he was getting uh trash talked to by conor right you could see he was it was getting under his skin but he was still quite stoic in terms of how he handled it but then you see a leon edwards right in in comparison um he openly talks about how he went and you know it, it deeply affected him and he was crying so it's subjective in that sense um 
yeah I don't, I don't know where you draw the line really um because i mean i always go back to this and this is the common argument you're literally about to take each other's brain cells out you're literally you could potentially kill the guy right you so at what point do you kind of say oh i know you can't say that but it's okay for you to elbow to elbow this guy till he's unconscious um yeah that's that's a really tough one right like like look at the Sean Strickland child abuse uh comments right now that was a big thing going into this fight yeah i i i think you know the sport it's not good for the sport you know especially uh publicity wise but it got a reaction it it got the reaction that ddp would have wanted right strickland unlike uh previous previous press conferences or in previous interviews he was crying he was emotional and he was actually coming out and you know he was deeply affected that's all part of fighting it's it's a really tough one right Tra- without trash talking i personally believe we don't get conor mcgregor and aldo the, you know the 13 second knockout like so it plays a huge part and i don't know where you kind of draw the line Yeah I mean for those who don't know what Dana White said I want to play that clip so that people get a perspective uh Dana White this is what Dana White said to the question asked after 297 about like you obviously give a long leash to your fighters about you know what they can say when they are up there with a UFC microphone and you are getting into territory of homophobia transphobia like is there I don't give anybody a leash well I'm saying you a leash I'm st- like free speech when roll what people say going to tell people what to believe going to tell people i don't fucking tell any other human being what to say what to think and there's no leashes on any of them. what is your question i was asking that question i'll move on though yeah uh, probably a good idea just, that's ridiculous to say i give somebody a leash free speech brother people can say whatever they want and they can believe whatever they want yeah see as long as it depends on what they believe that's my problem there is no consistency in uh, dina white's uh, rule because like it or not bloody elbow did talk about it bloody elbow is a very well known ufc portal again you might say bloody elbow has a left leaning bias so be it it's not about the biases and this was the report uh Islam Makachev's post UFC 294 statement censored by the UFC after oh. defending the UFC lightweight championship with a thunderous KO in the main event of UFC 294 in Abu Dhabi Islam Makachev opted not to celebrate the victory in solidarity so i'm not celebrating the win today because of the crazy things that are happening around the world palestine we stand with you he said in a post fight interview while carrying the palestine flag now why did the UFC do it and you know makachev was not the only fighter who had his pro palestine statement censored at ufc 294 the ufc edited out a statement of solidarity from british dagestani fighter mohammad mukayev who called for peace in the region so my question to dana white is what happened to free speech brother that's really interesting i had no idea about this you know that that's actually nuts um and that definitely changes my kind of perspective on this i'm like man then you have to have yeah you have to have consistency 
that's what I'm saying. It's a matter of consistency. On the on the conflict itself, my views are very well known. My podcast yeah. has covered many things. That's not oh, the issue yes. here. <laughs> but on the principle of free speech, Dana White cannot give that free speech answer. The UFC actively bans flags. They do. You know why yeah. they did? Everybody knows why they did. Again, it was Palestine. Because Bilal Muhammad, an American That's from Chicago, he always carries the Palestinian flag. They had to ban that. They had oh, to ban. I, yeah. No, but you see, like, yeah, where do you, where do you kind of, uh, how do you even call that out? Because again, the guy who runs it is is Ari Emanuel, right? Um, I'm sure he's not the only guy in the in the scene who, who's, you know, openly Republican or openly kind of Jewish. So, yeah, where where does that where does that line get drawn? Because Conor, you know, people forget Conor McGregor, right? In in his fight leading up to Aldo, openly said. That if it was a different time, he would have walked in on horseback and uh, and basically slaughtered everyone who wasn't fit to work in in Jose Aldo's favela. Can you imagine him saying that? Uh, saying that today, can you imagine what would happen on Twitter? What would happen on on Instagram? But I have a feeling if he said that, even now, even today, the UFC wouldn't censor it. Yeah, I think it's the parent company that's censoring it. Like, this was in 2022. Dana White confirms UFC fighters cannot can't carry flags in the cage anymore. You guys know why? Yeah, <laughs> they, they 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 don't allow flags anymore. And uh, it was, I guess, Endeavor and the ES and ESPN. They didn't want that stuff happening. And Dana White had to cave in. So uh, my whole thing was there's no such thing as a free speech standard that Dana keeps talking about. And uh, Dana keeps, uh, listen, at the end of the day, they run a business. It's the bottom line that matters. Nothing else matters, whether it's Dana White or anybody for that matter. And to say, oh, I care uh, about free speech. Eh, I don't buy it. I think they care about money and this sport has a huge, huge, huge right-wing base. In fact, they're going to let uh, Stan Strickland say a lot of things is because they might think at the end of the day, Sean is going to get them a lot of money, a lot of money, and they don't care. But hey, what the hell? As long as they can give the free speech argument. I, I, I One more thing. I don't know. Did you hear the news about Nate Diaz versus George Masvidal? trying to figure out a boxing match. Yeah, I mean, did anyone actually want to see that? I, I, I don't know. Who wants to see that? I, I'm not sure. Do you want to see that? No. The The best reaction was Uncle Chael. Uncle Chael doing Uncle Chael things. This was the best comment. This is amongst, I'm quoting Chael, this is amongst, if not the worst idea I've heard in a meaningful period of time, unless your goal is like Brewster's millions to see how fast you can run out of money. The only thing that has kept boxing alive is that you keep finding a bigger fool who's willing to lose money. My fear is that Nate and or George is putting their money in and I don't want them losing their money. <laughs> Uncle Chell saying it in the best be, best way possible. I like Chell's son and he, he has the most hilarious takes on everything. Oh no, he's awesome. <laughs> 
I, I mean, I always tell people, like, you need to watch him. He drops a lot of knowledge for free on his YouTube channel. So, you know, sometimes he'll say all kinds of, of bizarre stuff, but by and large, what he says is uh, is very valuable. But no, yeah, I, I don't know why they would even even consider booking that. I mean, if anything, get it in MMA, right? I can still see like a veteran veterans fight and, and you know, just for uh, sort of the fans, right? But boxing, yeah. not a chance. Not a chance. So what do you think of Inganu versus Joshua? You gonna Joshua? watch that? I mean, I'll watch it. Um, maybe, maybe get my Russian links out. But um, yeah, I don't know. I'll watch it just because I, I personally thought, and maybe this is my MMA bias kind of coming in. I personally thought he beat Fury. Uh, I think he did. I agree with you. You too, right? Yeah. So I'm very interested to see uh, how this goes. Because, yeah, you know what? I think Ngannou's story is incredible. Uh, uh, and I just think, you know, he deserves the payday. And he deserves the, the credit that he's getting. Because to actually to stick it to the UFC, it took a large set. It takes a large set to do that. And to have that kind of self-belief that you're going to go out there and find a bigger bag, credit to him. Really credit to him. Yeah, I think he proved Dana White wrong, which is very interesting. Very very few people actually eventually end up proving Dana White wrong. And Francis Ngannou is one of them. And and it was good. It was good to see. Anything else that you thought about the 297 card? Anything from the periphery before or after the card uh, that you that that you found uh, interesting that maybe uh, you wanted to discuss that uh, like I had this question uh, I mean as far as uh, Staunch Strickland is concerned do you think he should wait for the next uh, winner of the Adesanya potential probable Adesanya um, Duplessis fight or do you think he should fight someone anyway and he should move on who does he fight? That that's my question. Who who does he actually have to fight? Um, Kamaru Usman. Whoa! Actually, you know what? That that's a good matchup because he's lost to Kamaru, hasn't he? He lost him at welterweight, if I'm not wrong. So yeah, maybe they they have a story there, and maybe kind of get that back at middleweight. But then, I mean, I think that's a money fight. But again, you have to remember, see, if, if Adesanya beats DDP, then Strickland dominated him. So I think he's automatically kind of, you know, inserted himself into the title picture. Then if DDP wins, you know, he can, he, there's always the case that, oh, I won on one of the judges' scorecards, you know, and I am the former champion, therefore I deserve my title shot. So if I were him, I would just wait it out. I would just see just see how it goes. When you think Kamzab Chimaev gets ready or whatever, because he's deleted that Instagram image uh, that he had posted. I think he he has deleted that and like, what, what do you make of his health status? So, do you think if Kamzab is healthy, do you think he should get the title shot ahead of Adesanya? 
So what's the what? Yeah, he's beaten now Kamaru Usman. Who's he beaten in the top five or in the top ten now? Um, if anyone, well, he's number nine, isn't he? At the moment, if I if I remember correctly, he beat the Brazilian guy, the Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, I forgot his name again, but he beat them. He he beat him at one seventy-five. Yeah, but he beat him at welterweight. That's the thing, right? Yeah, I'm saying at middleweight. Who's he beaten that kind of warrants that title? I mean, I know people are gonna say. Oh, he beat Kamar Usman. Usman's a former champ. Um, and there's, I'm not gonna sit here and say that Chimaev isn't isn't a good fighter because that's obviously not true. But I'm just to warrant a title shot. I think he needs a couple of more wins, or at least one more kind of top ten at the very least win. You know, maybe a Sean Brady, for example, uh, be someone like that. Hmm. So if Okay, let me pull up the rankings for you. Wait, let's Sean Brady, let's look at Sean Brady, middleweight. Here he's still welterweight. Forget. So yeah. this is your ranking, right? This is your middleweight ranking right now. It's Strickland, Adesanya, Whitaker, Cannonier, Marvin Vettori, Paulo Costa. Now Costa and Whitaker are fighting, right? Yeah. And Cannonier yeah. and Vettori are not going to get a chance. No. Brendan Allen is not going to get it. Dolitza is not going to get it. Dolitza is fighting this weekend. Yeah, so he's fighting. Yeah, uh, next week, so he's not gonna get it. Basically, Kamza Chimaev, Adesanya are the only two probable people. If Whitaker beats Costa, Whitaker yeah. is in the play again. But I agree. He would not get it is because he lost to DDP. So why would he get it? Oh, that's true. Yeah, why would he get? It? I think. Now Whitaker's in this weird spot where he probably has to win another two fights to insert himself back into the into the title picture. Because, yeah, beating Paulo Costa is obviously great, but yeah, if you know, who has Costa really beat recently? He beat Luke Rockhold in a in, in a war. Yeah. Aside from that, you know, is that really convincing enough to? Push him into into the title picture because he got beat bad by DDP. Sorry, sorry, Whitaker got beat bad by DDP, so he'd need to win at least a couple of more, in my opinion, to, to insert him back in that picture. Before we wrap today's podcast, I want to talk about the heavyweight division. What the hell is happening there? Is John Jones ever going to fight? Is uh, is John Jones uh, has John Jones decided that if it's not Steve Miocic, I'm not going to fight? And uh, is Tom Aspinall going to sing sang, sad songs for the rest of his life? In my opinion, and I, I don't know if you agree with this, in my opinion, Aspinall is the current champion. Um, look, if, if Jones is going to sit out there, he literally cannot fight at the moment. So, yeah, as things stand, like, you know, he's, he's the current champion. He's the current best heavyweight in the world. I think he should move on. He should... You know, there's no Jones isn't coming back anytime soon because the injury he got from at least the video and from how he at least hypes it up looks bad, right? I think Aspinall should just take on the next guy. Whoever I think Almeida's fighting soon, no? Uh, Jelton uh, Almeida. Mm-hmm. He, I forget who he's fighting. I think uh, the only option left for Aspinall is Cyril Gan or Curtis Blades. Who does he fight other than that? Isn't isn't Blades fighting Almeida? Yeah, I think so. So, what the hell are they yeah. going to do? I suppose the winner of that, right, 
because Blades, I mean, technically beat Aspinall. Mm. And then, um, yeah, Almeida is a, is a juggernaut in the division. So, yeah, I think he just faces the winner of that. Because there's no point waiting for Jones. Jones is difficult to do business with anyways. So, <laughs> you know, why why kind of entertain it? He's got a belt. And I think eventually, you know, the UK loves Tom Aspinall. And, you know, if he's just more visible, people are going to start recognizing him as the champion. Fair enough. So before we wrap it up, when's your next fight? When's my next fight? So my next fight is in May. I'll be fighting in Chhattisgarh. Nice. So yeah, yeah. So that's the MMA India Nationals. So kind of you know go back into training this year. I'm in Singapore at the moment. Kind of hit up my ex coaches, and yeah, camp starts kind of end Feb, early March, and we're good to go in May. Nice. I look forward to it, Varun. All the best for your next fight. And uh, like I told everybody, uh, this is going to be a monthly feature now, Varun. And whenever Sham can join us, Sham too, uh, we're going to be doing uh, the MMA podcast regularly. I know MMA has a very small fan base in India, but that has never stopped me from discussing things that I enjoy. You know, when I started discussing the cricket thing, somebody was like, oh, there are established cricket journalists, but why are you doing it well we we started and barely anybody was listening to the cricket podcast also but now a lot of people tune in i am going to do the same with the mma podcast which is what exactly this is exactly what i told one i don't care how many people listen to it i love mixed martial arts i'm going to do it i'm going to go on doing it so yeah every month varun will be with me we'll be talking obviously i mean when he's fighting i understand we'll have to work around his timing and uh, Varun, once again, all the best for your upcoming fight. Take care of yourselves. You. And uh, I look forward to seeing you again next month. No, thank you very much. I look forward to it. And to everyone watching, thank you for listening. And please, you know, if, if there's a local MMA show uh, that you can go, uh, that you can go and support the, your local fighter, please go. Please go support the local fighters because MMA is growing in India, but it still has a long way to go. And it's my dream to see a whole army of, of Indian fighters in the UFC. So, yeah, looking forward to the yeah. next next chat. Yeah, I mean, uh, Anshul, Anshul, and before uh, Anshul, I think it was, uh, what was his name? Bharat Kandhare or something? He yeah, got... yeah, that's right. Yeah. Bharat Kandhare, yeah. Yeah, Bharat was there. Uh, these were actual Indian fighters, unlike the one championship heavyweight champ who's a Canadian who keeps talking about being an Indian. I got nothing against him. But brother, you're Canadian. You're not Indian. Yeah, he waved the Canadian flag. So, and yeah. in, in, when he won the medal, he waved the Canadian flag. So, so yeah, he he's Canadian. Yeah, this guy on the screen, he's an Indian fighter. Anshul is an Indian fighter. Ritu Fogart is an Indian fighter. Bharat Gandhare is an Indian fighter. These are Indian fighters. So, support <laughs> your Indian fighters. Support Varun. Uh, go follow him uh, on Instagram and on uh, social, uh, Twitter or X, whatever you guys want to call it. The handle is in the description of the podcast. So whether you're listening to the audio version or you're going to be watching the video version, you can go and check him out. As far as I'm concerned, you guys know the drill. Like, subscribe to the video. Uh, if you're an audio listener, leave a rating on whichever platform you listen to. And if you really want to go to the next level, you can become a member on YouTube, Patreon, Fanmo, wherever. You can buy the merchandise on kushalmehra.com. 
we will be doing a monthly MMA podcast from now on. I'll see you guys next time. Until then, namaste. Take care. Bye-bye.